Hey kids, this is Barn with my grandpa Dennis. The cartoon collection is dynamite. Run through those cold winter days. My grandpa's collections are great and we have so much fun. Almost forgot grandpa wanted me to tell you. What are you waiting for? Order today. OldTimeRadioDVD.com Take it from me, Byron. You'll be glad you did. Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas! How do you do? Once there was a man who was hungry, even though he ate regular meals with his family. So he went out into the world and ate many strange things and became sick at heart. He withdrew from everything he once knew, and his soul became even more distressed. Then he was invited to a banquet where the food was unlike anything he had ever eaten. And as he ate, his hunger as well as his heart and mind and life were unshackled. Oh, dear, that sounds like your pop coming home, and I'll bet he's been drinking. Oh, thanks for waiting for me. Yeah, we waited as long as we could, Don. The boys were hungry. Did you never think about me, do you? Why can't you get here at dinner time? Don't bug me all the time. <laughs> Look, Don, lower your voice. You're scaring the boys. Don't cry, Kenny. Hey, little crybaby, eat your dinner. Since you were so hungry, you couldn't wait for your pop. I said, eat your dinner. I'll stuff it down your throat. Oh, stop it, Donald. You're choking him. Stop it. From the crossroads of America, this is Unshackled. Dramatizing true life stories before a live audience in Chicago by Pacific Garden Mission. Numbers don't tell the whole story, but they do help give us an overview each day, more than 700 men, women, and children receive food, clothing, and a safe place to sleep at Pacific Garden Mission. During the cold winter months, that number grows even higher. Each month, 500 or more patients are treated at the mission's free medical and dental clinic. And all this is made possible thanks to friends like you who give financially to help these who have nothing. No, numbers don't tell the whole story. Counselors and pastors do that as they share the old, old story of God's love for each person, His plan for each life. And many guests at the old lighthouse reach out and receive that gift of forgiveness, joining thousands of others whose lives are changed forever. Now for broadcast around the earth, here's program number 2,766 in the series Unshackled, the program that makes you face yourself and think. Did I really do that, Agnes? Yes, you did. Poor little Kenny was so scared he couldn't eat because you were drunk and shouting. Then you started stuffing food in his mouth, and he almost choked. What an awful thing to do. I'm, I'm sorry I behaved so badly. It won't happen again. You have to stop drinking, Donald. If you don't, I won't stay with you. I'll take the boys and leave. Please, Agnes, don't leave me. Somehow I'll quit drinking. I promise. This is the story of that little boy who was so frightened of his father. As some parents are wont to do, his parents 
paired off, each choosing a favorite son, and he became the favorite of his mother, who took him to church every Sunday. He calls this the religious period in his life, and he'll tell us why it didn't help him. This is the true story of Ken Duffield, right now on Unshackled. Our church attendance was just a religious ritual. It had no impact on my mother or me. My father never went with us, even though his mother had been a devoted Christian who prayed that one day he'd become a pastor. My parents went to a counselor and Pop quit drinking, except in the secret of the basement or garage. But he never went back to bars and seemed to be self-controlled. My brother and Pop became best friends while I became a mama's boy. I remember helping Mom make Christmas cookies at home and often going to movies with her. Later, she realized that my social life was being stunted. Why don't you go out and play with Donnie or your friends, Kenny? Oh, I don't want to. Why not? I'd rather stay in here with you. Oh, Kenny, it's not good for you to spend so much time with me. You need friends, your own age. I don't like them as much as I like you. And besides, Donnie doesn't like to play with me. Oh, your brother is just older, but I'm sure he'll play with you if he's not playing with his own friends. Besides, you need to find your own friends. Now go on, go outside and find someone to play with. In time, you'll enjoy being with your friends. She was right. I made some close neighborhood friends that remained throughout high school. For the most part, ours was a happy family. We took fun vacations to the beach in New Jersey and biked along the boardwalk. Pop was never much interested in the beach or boardwalk, but Mom came from a large Italian family that got together for birthdays or any significant event, and that was always fun. One thing our family had in common was music. My mom's family and Pop all played musical instruments. I loved music, and for my first paper route, I bought an old upright piano for fifty dollars. Then, because I didn't like sports. I spent every spare minute practicing piano instead of joining my neighborhood friends in their games. In high school, I played in the marching band and the dance band. I played trumpet and baritone and was in the tri-state band. About that time, I stopped going to church because I found no answers for life's questions. It was all just ritual. I was searching for absolutes for life, but all I found was a variety of opinions. I felt so empty. During my junior year, I began to spend many hours at a pool room. Even after I graduated and began working, I was drawn to the atmosphere at the pool room. I met lots of different people, from broken homes and shattered marriages, drunks, gamblers, con artists, and thieves. I thought they were pretty cool. I tried to emulate them. Thus began my period of rebellion. Well, that's it, I guess. I owe you some money, Baron. Oh, don't feel bad, kid. You can't ever beat the Baron, so you might as well join him. Here, have a cigar. Thanks. Hey, I like your suit. Ah, shark skin. Only the best for the Baron. Buy you a beer. Sure. I'm almost broke. I lost a bundle at the racetrack earlier today, but I'll get paid tomorrow for my job at the shipyard. So next time, I'll buy. Ah, don't worry about it, kid. Wow, that's a wad of money. I'll let you in on a little secret. It's not as much as it seems. See. I keep the ones on the inside to make it look fatter. <laughs> I like your style, Baron. You stick with me, kid, and you'll learn a lot. We'll go places. You ever been to Atlantic City? No. Well, let's go sometime. I know the bars that stay open after hours. 
We passed for brothers, and I was dubbed Little Brother. We went everywhere together, drinking heavily. I needed a car worthy of hauling the Baron around, and I bought a Cadillac, gunmetal gray with a black top. Weekends, we worked our way down the back roads, closing bars all the way. Sometimes we conscripted a third guy for a game of pool, pretending we didn't know him. When the stakes got high, one of them would dump the game, and we'd split the money later. Most of the time, when I drove away, I was driving drunk. I was becoming an alcoholic. Hey, kid, you're trying to kill me? Oh man, that was close. What are you talking about? There's nobody around. I, I think I fell asleep at the wheel. You are trying to kill me. I, I dreamed I, I saw a brick wall in front of me, so so I hit the brakes. Well, I'll get going. We'll never get to Atlantic City like this. Another time while in New Jersey, I drove straight through a traffic circle instead of going around it and punctured the gas line. Someone pulled alongside us, saying the car was on fire underneath. We were so drunk, we didn't believe it. But got off at the next exit, jumped out of the car, just as it burst into flames. Oh, I thought it was hilarious. I was extremely irresponsible and didn't assume any of the financial obligations for the loss of the car. Since I was living in Pennsylvania, I also ignored the warrants from the tickets I'd received. I don't remember how I got home. By that time, the Baron was out of my life, and I soon moved back home with my parents. You seem a little distracted this morning, Kenny. Yeah, I'm thinking about going to California, Mom. Oh, what's out there?、Uh, something different. Well, that's a poor reason to go so far. Well, my friend John knows this woman who needs to go there. See, she has two kids and she wants to collect some alimony from her husband. Yeah, would she help you with the expenses? I wouldn't do it otherwise. And besides, I'd like to see the West Coast.、Oh, you need to stop drinking and settle down, son. Find yourself a steady job and marry Joanna. She's such a nice girl. She would be a good wife for you. I, I like a variety of girls, Mom. Oh, you need to get your life on a better course, Kenny. Well, maybe I will in California. My buddy and I thought we'd get some of the alimony, <laughs> but the woman dumped us in California. We did odd jobs, making enough to pay for a room and a bottle of booze that we consumed every night. Desperate for money, we bought capsules of cold medicine, separated the different colored beads to make capsules of one color, and sold them as uppers. That didn't last, and I became despondent. My life was on a downward spiral, and I couldn't stop it. When I called home, my pop noticed. Hello.、Uh, hi, pop. Kenny, I'm still in California. We've been getting overdue notices from the bank. Your car payment is past due. Yeah, yeah, I'm way behind. But I haven't made enough money to send anything to the bank. Well, you're not making it out there. You don't even sound like yourself. Why don't you come home? I don't have enough money, Pop. Yeah, I'll wire you the money, son. We drove back to New Jersey, where I gave the car back to the bank. I got a job and rented a trailer, seldom speaking to friends or family. I was 23 and had come to a dead end. I was tired of the world, sick of my friends, and disillusioned. I was depressed and so full of fears and anxieties that I wouldn't even enter a grocery store, afraid that people were staring at me. This was the darkest time of my life as I pondered a variety of ways to commit suicide. I had entered a period of reclusion that concerned my parents. Don, what are we going to do about Ken? Yeah, what's he done now? Nothing. That's the problem. He almost never calls, and he hasn't been here in months. Donnie stopped by to see him, and he was rude to him. They're brothers, and Donnie was just trying to encourage him. 
I don't know what we can do to help him, Agnes. Maybe we should urge him to get counseling. You think that'd help? It couldn't hurt. Marriage counseling helped us, and it even helped you stop drinking. We can't force him to go. I know, but we can call him to see if he'll talk with us about it. What do you want? Kenny, your father and I are concerned about you. Why? You've become a recluse, son. That's not like you. I just want to be left alone. That's not healthy. Why don't you go talk with the counselor, Kenny? It helped your mom and me. We'll help you pay for it. So, Ken, you feel disillusioned about life? Yes. Everything is so futile. I mean, there's so many variables in life. Nothing's an absolute. Nothing is true. Nothing is true. Yeah, I thought freedom to do as you want brought happiness, but it doesn't. When I was in California, a guy wandered into our apartment building and he was totally stoned. I mean, when he came down off his high, he was rolling on the floor in a fetal position, crying out for hours because he needed another fix. It was ridiculous. I, I feel that way sometimes, though. I, I tried to stop drinking and smoking, but I, I always fail. I keep wondering, why am I here? Why are you here? I couldn't answer that question, and he couldn't seem to answer it either. So I quit going to see him. Still frustrated and miserable, I decided to make the best of it and try to be like everyone else. I decided to get a decent job and somehow get through life one day at a time. I began commuting to New York City two nights a week to take a course in dry cleaning. Now, this began my period of reformation. But I would fail at that too. Trying to make the most of a meaningless existence and failing, we'll learn the outcome of Ken's story in just a moment. Samuel Sierra was a hardworking, reliable accountant, husband, and father who liked to experiment with drugs, always thinking he was in control. And then he tried heroin, and everything changed. Heroin is a thief. It invaded Sam's once peaceful home and stole everything of value. His wife's trust, his children's admiration, his own integrity. We've published a pocket-sized booklet of Samuel Sierra's true story, just as it was broadcast on Unshackled. As a matter of fact, we've published it not only in English, but Spanish as well. Here you will read how Christ's power over sin freed Samuel from years of slavery to heroin, giving him a new life. The plan of salvation is clearly presented, making this a powerful witnessing tool. For your free copy of the Samuel Sierra story booklet, just write to Pacific Garden Mission, Chicago, Illinois, 60605. Our email address is unshackled at pgm.org. And specify if you would like it in English or Spanish or both. Well, my schooling led to a good job as manager of a chain of dry cleaning drop stores in Philadelphia. I no longer had any interest in bar hopping or gambling, but I became a weekend drinker in my neighborhood bar. That's where I met Jeff. So, how's the uh, dry cleaning business, Ken? Come clean now. <laughs> uh, it's solvent. 
<laughs> Dirty business, huh? <laughs> Don't press me. Ooh. Hey, you're all right, buddy. Some people consider puns to be the lowest form of humor, but yeah. I think it's good mental exercise. Uh, yeah, it helps to hang around with you, Jeff. I mean, intellectually, you're way beyond most people. I have an inquisitive mind, that's all. Yeah. They say we use only 10% of our brain. Think what we could do if we used it all. Get into more trouble, that's what. <laughs> no, 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 no. Look, think of the intelligent mind that designed and created the universe. You think there was a creator? Absolutely. Science doesn't disprove God. Science proves him. Did you know that the Bible declared 700 years before Christ that the earth is round? Well, you're kidding. No. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22 talks about he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth. I, I didn't know that. Yeah, most people don't. The Bible also describes in the book of Job how God stretcheth out the north over the empty place and hangeth the earth upon nothing. And the book of Job may be the oldest book in the Bible. That's mind-blowing. Pretty cool, huh? <laughs> I didn't know you were an authority on the Bible, Jeff. Uh, not an authority, just interested. Oh, hey, tell me more. Well, the bar's about to close. Look, come on over to my place and I'll fix us some eggs while we talk. Ah, uh, thanks for the chow, Jeff. Sure. Now, look, let me show you something from the Bible since you're interested. This is from Ecclesiastes. It says, Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And then listen to this verse. The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be, and that which is done, is that which shall be done, and there is no new thing under the sun. <laughs> That's my philosophy of life. It's all futility. Well, it's not really all futility. There's more to it than that. Oh, like what? Well, you need to read the Bible and see for yourself, especially the book of John and Romans. Oh, maybe I'll do that. Because of my new interest in the Bible, I began taking long rides in my car, secretly listening to Christian radio. I felt guilty because of my immorality and sinful acts, but I didn't know how to stop. Somewhere, I got a track that I carried around and read over and over again without understanding. Making the rounds in my laundry truck one day, I stopped at a Christian bookstore and bought a pocket New Testament that I kept under the counter to read between customers. I read John and Romans as my friend had suggested. So, how's the Bible reading, Ken? Oh, there's a lot I don't understand. Hey, welcome to the club. But you know what? I'm really intrigued by a verse in Romans. Chapter 8, I think. It says, For we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? What does that mean? I don't know. Oh, I thought you knew everything. I've never said that. I've asked a lot of people, including my parents, but nobody knows what it means. I keep telling you, go to a church that teaches in the Bible. I tried going to church last Sunday. I drove into Philadelphia, but I couldn't find a church. Well, why don't you go to that Bible camp I told you about in Scroon Lake, New York? I just can't up and leave my job. I'm the manager. Well, then you don't care very much. Oh, I do, too, care. You don't have the nerve to go, you're chicken. Oh, you think so, huh? I'll go if you go. Okay, you're on. We'll take a bus in the morning. The next morning we had a few drinks to ease our hangovers, boarded a bus, leaving my laundry truck parked on the street. So much for my new sense of responsibility. We slept most of the way, got a cheap room and hit the local bars for a few days. 
When our money ran out, we went to see the personnel director at the Christian camp. I had to wear sunglasses to hide my bloodshot eyes and kept quiet during the interview. Jeff was very astute. You see, didn't I tell you I'd get us a couple of jobs here? Piece of cake. Oh, you sure know the Christian jargon, old buddy. I went to camp here when I was a teenager. Oh, you chose the perfect time. I mean, most of the college kids have gone back to school and they need temporary staff. Yeah, no time to check references. Hope you don't mind working in the kitchen. Hey, a job's a job. At least we can eat. But uh, how do we sneak out for a beer? Working in the kitchen at that camp was my first exposure to a Christian environment. The people were so different. Some went around singing. None of them swore, and most of them were very friendly. One of the cooks burned himself one day, and instead of swearing, he kept praising the Lord. One evening, after a big buffet dinner we prepared, all the staff ate together in the staff dining room. Our boss and some others sat at the table with us. When were you saved, Jeff? I came here to camp as a teenager, and I got right with the Lord. Well, I'm glad to hear that. You know, this camp was started to reach young people with the gospel. The director's wife was saved at a camp similar to this one as a young adult, and they wanted to replicate the experience for as many others as God would send to them. Well, what about you, Ken? When were you saved? <laughs> what makes you think I'm saved? Ken, if you're not saved, you're missing the greatest experience of your life, bar none. That's right, Ken. I used to be a bartender in New York City, and I drank a fifth of whiskey a day. Mm. My life was meaningless. Every night was the same with hangovers in the morning... I was always broke. But, Ken, then I heard the gospel and received Jesus as my Savior. He filled my life with so much joy I didn't want alcohol. I just wanted more of him. He must increase, but I must decrease. You think about it, Ken. Jesus is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Other kitchen workers got the word that I probably wasn't saved and began witnessing to me, too. The rest of that week, I went to chapel services and read the Bible. But I was anxious and at one point afraid to cross the main highway through town. Afraid I'd be run over by a truck and go to hell. Then during an evening chapel service, the camp director spoke. No matter how attractive and comfortable the road you're on seems to be, it's a highway to hell if it's not God's way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You see, my friends, God's way up is down. Down on your knees in humility before a holy and righteous God. Don't think you can make yourself good enough for God. You can't. The Bible says there is none righteous. No, not one. That includes you and me, friend. We are made righteous only by the blood of Christ shed on the cross for our sins. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I was sitting in the back, in my dirty cook's uniform, too embarrassed to walk to the front when he gave the invitation. But then... He stretched out his arms to portray Christ on the cross. Jesus died a horrible death on the cross for our sins, that we might come to God. He took the punishment for every rotten thing we ever did or said or thought in order to give us his righteousness, 
the moment we believe in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Gripping the back of the pew, I caught a glimpse of Christ on the cross, and I believed, and I was saved. I could resist no longer, and I rushed down the aisle. For the first time in my adult life, I cried uncontrollably. A counselor came to me, but I was unable to speak for several minutes. The God of the universe had touched my heart, and I was overwhelmed. I feel... So clean. You've been washed by the blood of the lamb, King. No wonder they call it born again. Let me give you a scripture that will encourage you if you begin to doubt. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 promises, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That verse was immediately engraved in my heart forever. I had new life in Christ. My ambitions were transformed. My purpose in life was identified to serve the Lord. I was too new a believer to realize that my friend, Jeff, had only intellectual knowledge of the Bible. It was not received with faith. I was saddened to learn that he was still lost. I was looking for you, Ken. Yeah, I was looking for you too, Jeff. I got saved tonight. Why didn't you tell me how to receive Christ? I'd forgotten. Oh, it's so wonderful. I can't wait to get in a Bible study. All of my questions... Yeah, I mean, that's good, buddy. Uh, listen, you want to go have a beer somewhere? No. No, I, I think I'll go back to my room and read the Bible some more. Within a week, my friend left the camp and was picked up drunk on a street corner. God took away my desire for alcohol, swearing, smoking, and immorality. The kitchen staff at camp gave me a reference Bible that I read constantly. A week or so after I was saved, I called home. We wondered what happened to you, Kenny. I was afraid you were drinking again. I was, Mom. But then I came up here and heard the gospel. I received Jesus as my Savior, and now I have a new life. It's the best decision I ever made in my life. Well, I think all religions lead to God. No, Pop. That's not true. That's a lie of the devil. He wants everybody to believe that, so they'll end up in hell. What about your job at the laundry, Ken? I gave it up, Mom. Pop, will you and Donnie return the company truck? It's parked in that lot at the end of the street. Sure, we'll take care of it. But are you coming back home soon? No. No, I'm going to stay and work here and study the Bible. I want to serve the Lord anytime, anywhere, anything he wants me to do. I stayed a year at that Christian camp working as a cook and saving my money for Bible college. Every night I studied the Bible. The next summer I met Linda, who was a college kid on staff. After she graduated, we got married and I continued my studies at a Bible college in Canada. God gave us three children and a ministry serving Him as missionaries in Mexico. Over a period of ten years, thousands made professions of faith in Christ. In December of 2000, I was hospitalized for kidney failure, and I still require dialysis today. I have a number of other physical problems, but God is faithful, still molding this servant of His, finishing the work He began more than 30 years ago. A favorite verse of mine is Romans 11.33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. There's no one like the Lord Jesus Christ.
The Bible says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that gift of forgiveness and salvation is for you, listening friend. You can't earn God's gift, and you can never deserve it. Nevertheless, God's love provided a way for you. Herein is love not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. To learn more about this gift of new life in Christ, get in touch with Pacific Garden Mission, Chicago, Illinois, 60605. The telephone number in Chicago, area 312-922-1462. Our email address is unshackled at pgm.org. And visit us online at unshackled.org. This is program number 2,766, heard in the true story of Ken Duffield, where Doug James, Meg Falcon, Roman Serwinski, John Green, Douglas Malore, Charlie Hudson, and Fred Stone. Original music, Don Badorf, sound, Nicolosio, engineer, Ed Webb, script, Kenetha Gabler, and I'm Bob O'Donnell. Unshackled is produced by Pacific Garden Mission to show through true stories that if your life is empty, it can be filled to overflowing. Take a moment and let us know you listen. The address, Pacific Garden Mission, Chicago, Illinois, 60605. You may call Pacific Garden Mission in Chicago and talk with someone who cares, 312-922-1462. Someone is waiting for your call, 312-922-1462. 